Testing, testing. It's on. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone picker, picker. <laughs> Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello? Anybody there? Why are we here? What does this mean? Let's figure it out together. This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. What are we doing? That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the podverse. Hello. Welcome to the Turning of the Bones podcast. My name is Colby Marie. I am your host. Welcome, welcome. I'm so glad you're here, wherever you are, you delightful daffodil, you perfect petunia, you outstanding, I don't know any flowers that start with O, so we're just going to jump in from there. Um, (laughs) Welcome to the Turning of the Bones podcast. My name is Colby Marie. And it is a delightful, glorious spring day here in Denver, Colorado. I was uh, out this morning taking in some sunshine before I sat down to record this episode. And uh, what a sigh of relief. Spring this year. Just on the heels of a very long winter. Quarantining the pandemic. I am recently vaccinated. I am two weeks out from my last shot. I got the Moderna shot. Had, I think, pretty typical post-vaccine symptoms, but now I'm, I'm fully vaxxed, which doesn't change a lot for me personally. It I noticed that after I got my second shot, there was a marked difference in my allostatic load. I think I may have mentioned this, and it just feels delightful. I just feel like this low-level fear is gone. It's a spring day here. I'm happy to be alive, happy to be here with you. I was uh, out in the garden this morning. I developed a passion for gardening during the pandemic. Last year I shared a garden with my neighbors and this year I'm sharing some space in the backyard and some raised beds with my roommates and I went out this morning and checked on my babies and I've got some black beauty squash starting to come up Or is it zucchini? I can't remember, but I'm new to this gardening thing. Uh, But they're starting to come up. I've got a couple cherry tomato babies starting to come up. I planted some peppers. Still waiting on those. Some basil, some rosemary, some chives, and a whole lot of kale. I love kale. It's not a not a trend or a fad for me. I'm I'm all about it. 
I love kale. I love it sauteed, some garlic, some pepper and salt. Eat it with my eggs in the morning. Yeah, it's a really nice day here. I had three delicious hard-boiled eggs. I got my workout in. So yeah, it's kind of how I'm doing. Really proud of myself. I am still off the cigarettes. I've got about a month and a half of working out five days a week. A minimum of 10 minutes. I think my max has been about say 30 to 45 minutes I haven't really timed it but somewhere around there and it feels good to achieve some goals to set a routine to settle into a flow I know I've mentioned my mental health protocol it's kind of bounced all around during the pandemic as most of ours probably have um, and it feels good to be entering spring what a just glorious time of year um, I ran two and a half miles straight the other day, which was really encouraging. Get my cardio strength back. Still using the nicotine lozenges, but I would be happy to have one of those for the rest of my life in exchange for my breath. So, yeah. What was I thinking about this morning? Oh, I was outside, and yeah, the flowers are blooming, and... Yeah, tons of really beautiful flowers, but tulips always get me. I find tulips just really hopeful. Kind of that first sign. Um, the tulips here made it through several snowstorms, and they're just standing up and proud. And it always kind of amuses me to think that at one point uh, <clears throat> during the Dutch, I don't know, tulip craze I forget what it was called but uh like 1630 or 16 yeah somewhere around there 1630s in uh Holland I think there was a, a tulip craze where tulips became worth astronomical amounts of monies and that really has always amused me. I can't remember where or when I learned that. But, you know, kind of makes me laugh on several levels at uh, the arbitrary nature of what we put value in as humans. We kind of, uh, we assign value to really funny things. Um, but how beautiful. Tulips were once, once so expensive and, uh, probably buy a house with a dozen tulips kind of cracks me up um, but you know it's arbitrary this rare rock that rare rock gold diamonds just you know the rarer the rock the more we've uh, assigned value to it which is kind of funny and maybe a topic for a whole other podcast but uh, I'm starting to go down a tangential road so I'm gonna bring myself back here today um, kind of just check in see what I see what I have planned see what I'm ready to talk about <sighs> I know I wanted to take a minute at the beginning of the podcast and kind of 
hold with some reverence the life of Andrew Brown, who lost his life this week. His family lost a cousin, brother, sibling, father, child um, to police violence. Um, was basically gunned down while he was trying to escape police custody. Um, so yeah, I think you can expect this during this podcast as long as this needs to be talked about that I will address the loss of life and the loss of uh, specifically black lives at the hands of police violence. Um, I mentioned that this is both a power problem and a gun problem, in my opinion. Um, but I think it's it's time it's time for white people to begin to have these discussions and to honor and respect the loss of life and look at these systems and how that they can be changed so that this doesn't happen um so that other forms of intervention, even if someone's trying to escape police custody, I don't believe that that's grounds for the termination or the ending of their life. Um, and I think it's very peculiar that they're not releasing the body cam footage. I've heard lots of justifications of the status quo, which is in my opinion, in the opinion of a lot of BIPOC voices that I listen to, just a justification of white supremacist um, systems of power. And when I say white supremacist, I don't mean ultra right-winged or um, Nazis or KKK, although they're included, but more so the systems of oppression that are just systematic and the way that we respond to the way that police in the, our system responds to um, perceived threats from BIPOC individuals. And so, yeah, another Another life was lost at the hands of police within, I think it was an hour of the Derek Chauvin, so not just Makia Bryant, but Andrew Brown. And so we are going to say their names here on, these, on this podcast. Um, and I hope that people listening can continue to have conversations, challenging conversations with uh, loved ones about the stories we believe about this um i've heard people say that andrew brown deserved it because he was trying to escape um i just don't think that's true and i don't think that that i think that that's evidence believing that story is evidence of some internalized racist thinking and I think we need to unpack that as white people. 
And I think we need to honor these lives and we need to keep talking about them until we make this change systematically and we make the small changes we need to internally to address our subconscious or conscious racist thinking or beliefs. So it's going to take a minute, a moment of silence for Andrew Brown, for his son who lost a father, and for his family and friends. All right, so we're back. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in to these podcasts. These, I would say, what could potentially be challenging conversations to have about fear, about uh, noting and recognizing police violence and especially towards BIPOC bodies. Um, it's not easy, but I don't think that this, uh, I don't think that being a human's easy. I think that it takes work and it takes work to have the, the lives we want to live. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. We're sh- going to share some stories and continue to see where this podcast goes, continue to see continue to see, you know, I guess kind of talk about what I think I want to talk about until I start getting feedback from the viewers. Um, yeah, a little, little springtime love, a little breath of fresh air. You know, the pandemic is uh, apparently in America, kind of getting a break. Restrictions are being lifted. The CDC is coming out with new guidelines. Um, talking to my friend on some friends of mine on Facebook Messenger in India and they're going through a really painful wave and so I just want to send some love and support towards India and my friends in India this isn't completely over but it does feel nice to celebrate a little break here and also uh Hold some space and send some love to people who aren't getting a break from it because definitely one of the intentions of this podcast is to talk with y'all about how I work through the paradoxes of being a human. And I, I talked about that a bit last week. I'm going to continue talking about storytelling and fear this week. And... Just gonna jump right in um, to this idea that uh, storytelling. I think it's a belief that I have, and I'm still working through this and learning every week as I prep for the podcast. That uh, I think storytelling is just amazing, and I mentioned last week that stories are another one of those paradoxical things that they can be 
equal parts hindrance and they can limit us the stories we believe about race stories we believe about ourselves the stories we believe about how things should be um, but stories can also liberate us and connect us and inform us and teach us we are really amazing amazing beings um, our power to create community through stories through shared values and beliefs is really pretty unique I was listening to a a class that a scholar that I really enjoyed John Verbeke was giving and he mentions like he mentions how incredible it is that humans this is something we take for granted every single day <clears throat> that we live around strangers um, that no other mammals do that they don't they live in familial units or communities um, but very rarely do they live around strangers and if you ever want to get an example of this in the uh, primate kingdom uh, I'm not sure the name but uh look up I think it's Bacobs and they like do they, they they have battles they battle over territory um, they don't live around strangers sometimes they will accept outcasts but uh for the most part human human beings do something pretty miraculous every day um, just living around strangers and We do that through a lot of means, but I think one way that we one way that we come together and can start to understand other people's perspectives and other people's points of views and other people's experiences is through storytelling. Um, you know, in this country, we we all go to a history class right and basically we learn that people are stories right like people who've deceased then become a story and um so to some degree you know stories a lot of us are living our lives like it's a story you know like there's a beginning a middle and an end and uh i've heard people say that stories are all we are um, I think we're a lot more than that, but I think it, it points in the right direction to the power of stories. Um, because I think stories help battle, help, uh, not battle, I think they, uh, they mitigate and lessen one of those huge fears that we have, one of those top fives that we're alone. Um, I think stories connect us and help us feel a little less alone and if nothing else I hope this podcast does that by talking about taboo topics like fear or mental health telling stories because um, stories like I said they're how we remember people they're how we connect um, and a really beautiful part of it is how we learn it's how we learn about other people's experiences and so stopping what we're doing 
and reading a story about someone's experience from another country, someone's experience from another culture, someone's experience from another gender identity or sexual orientation can help us understand um, what we share in common, kind of connect us around our common humanity. Um, and I think it's really powerful. I think, I think it's one of the mo most joyful experiences of my life. And ever since I was little, I can remember as a kid in school, I just wanted to know everybody. Um, I didn't really understand why we were broken into different social groups. Um, and <laughs> quite honestly, I had a hard time picking. And I think I still carry that with me. Um, I didn't want to just be a basketball player or a skater or a nerd or... Um, what else? A cool kid. I wanted to kind of connect and just be friends with everybody. And so I've always really enjoyed hearing other people's stories. Um, and I think that if we can take a risk and show that we're human, and by human I mean capable of beautiful things, capable of horrible things, capable of courageous things, capable of being terrified. I think that if we can share vulnerably, um, those are kind of the best stories. Um, if we can share, um, share how we overcame something with one another if we can share um, if we can share the parts that have been scary for us then other other people will get something from it I've learned so much from hearing about other people's fears or how other people overcame things and that's what we're doing here. Just walking each other home and having a chat along the way. Um, and I think one thing that is super fascinating about um, storytelling as a technology is that um, it really pulls on one of our biggest strengths as humans. Um, and it's a spectrum, right? Everybody has a different level of ability to do this. Um, not all brains are the same. We have neurally divergent brains that see the world differently. Um, and so just to acknowledge that this happens on a spectrum, this ability to share stories and connect with one another is different for all of us for all kinds of reasons. It could be neurodiversity, it could be trauma, it could be, um, yeah, I think those are two major ones. Um, but on the spectrum of human experience, we all share on some level 
the innate ability to detect patterns in our environment. And we do this in nature all the time. Just this morning, I was outside and I noticed the pattern named tulip. Each tulip has a slightly different pattern, but to my brain, I see a bed of flowers and I know there's a cluster of tulips. Now each tulip is different, each pattern is different, and each tulip we all have probably heard um, something along the lines of, it's the, it's the snowflake example, no two snowflakes are made the same, and some cultures have, you know, a hundred names for different kinds of snow, and then inside of that each snowflake is unique in its structure, its molecular structure is uh, all the same, it's all H2O, but the way that those molecules configure themselves are totally different each time. Um, but yeah, so in nature we, de we detect patterns and then kind of a step up from that as humans, we have written language. Um, not everybody is literate, literate and I want to take a moment to acknowledge that we all have the potential for verbal communication, but we're not all born literate. Um, we all learn that kind of pattern recognition differently. Uh, I have dyslexia and dysgraphia, so my brain sometimes messes up the pattern of letters and how they're quote-unquote supposed to be. Um, so like a step up from the, the pattern in nature of tulip, I can then think about the pattern of letters that make the sounds for tulip. Um, each individual phoneme, each little piece, t, uh, uh, um, sounding it out, um, and we learn that. And we learn increasingly complex patterns as we get older. Um, but we're all born as infants with the ability to detect the patterns of faces. Um, if you're born with, uh, early on, we learn the faces of our caregivers. Um, and this just kind of keeps moving out. We, <clears throat> we see lines, um, we see, you know, the edges of the shape tree show us that it's a tree and then there are all kinds of different variants and we can if we become an arborist we can learn about the different leaf shapes and then we can start to identify them and then we uh, kind of organize this information in increasing levels of complexity um, based off of our ability to detect patterns and um, we're always kind of engaged in this informational exchange between ourselves and the world around us um, as we're walking. Um, like I said, the brain uh, is trying to keep us safe most of the time. And so it's, it's looking for patterns, you know, it's looking for the pattern, uh, scary dog, maybe as you're walking through a neighborhood, 
Um, especially if you've had the experience of being bitten by a dog like I have. Um, I don't walk around terrified of dogs anymore, but if a dog runs up on me from behind, I definitely, I remember getting bit, bitten by a barn dog when I was a kid um, or a teenager. Um, I remember being chased on top of a car by uh, a very large dog that jumped out of a car window. Um, but yeah, we're looking for patterns. We're looking for sounds, right? Like uh, shapes, lines, figures. Um, yeah, and in this information exchange, stories are just recognizable patterns. And you may or may not know this, but um, before we had written language, um, we had stories that were passed down verbally. So um, one of the examples that just came to me was like uh, Homer um, and the Odyssey or the Iliad, right? If uh, depending on where you went to school, I was lucky enough to go to college and study literature and uh, they're just two of the stories that they're two of the oldest written stories not um, oldest stories each culture has extremely old stories and I want to honor and respect that Western education kind of centralizes Europe and white stories in their teaching um, but that was my experience so those two stories, the Iliad and the Odyssey, used to be passed down verbally. Um, and the point of those stories is they were, uh, they were kind of a manual for leadership, um, which is, we could break that down on a whole lot of levels, but they used these stories as tools for, to teach people how to uh, overcome certain situations, um, what to do, what not to do, where mistakes can lie, how a well-resourced person can overcome certain obstacles. Um, and there are tons of other stories, but f f we're, we're all born with the ability to recognize patterns for the most part um, on var to varying degrees. And we're all born linguistic, not literate. Um, and so stories are kind of like how we make meaning where there, there isn't necessarily meaning, you know. Um, if somebody asked me how my day was, it only has meaning because I give it a story. Um, I can say I woke up, has a beginning, had some breakfast. I um, went to the store. I was in a fender bender. Um, so I had to call my insurance company. I had to call the police. The police came. Uh, got that taken care of. I got my, my car towed. Um, I didn't know how I was going to get home, so I called a couple friends, 
Um, one of my friends came and picked me up. Um, we talked for a little while. I uh, had some lunch. Um, and I was really nervous because I had a bunch of work to do, but I felt a little weird because I had been in an accident. Um, I was having a hard time focusing. Um, but luckily, some somewhere around the end of the workday, I was able to focus and get some writing done. Um, I got a call back from the insurance company that they were going to cover getting it fixed. I made an appointment to get my car fixed, and then I went ahead and had dinner and watched some TV and went to bed. So a bunch of random events um, that just happened come together when I tell them in a story form, when I... You know, have some action, have some characters, have a setting, um, and have some kind of resolution, right? Like, I was able to get my car fixed. I was able, you know, so we, we know that story arc inherently. We see it in movies. Um, I took a screenwriting class um, with some money I had from a volunteer. Uh, I did AmeriCorps in my 20s, and they give you an education stipend, and so... I was really interested in becoming a filmmaker for a while, um, which may, may still happen. Who knows? Who knows where this is going to lead? I don't know what the end of my story is yet. But So I took this screenwriting class, and it blew my mind to find out that there is a very specific formula for each, movies, for each movie. Um, and pretty much movies in general... Um, so when you're writing a screenplay, each page is projected to be a minute on the screen. So you write the first page, I'm trying to think of a movie that I can remember. Um, Indiana Jones, um, you know, the first page would have been him walking towards the temple right like the first minute um and you can any any movie you can think of that would be the case so each minute is one page um and then around somewhere between page 15 and page 20 or 15 minutes to 20 minutes in there's going to be a conflict um something's going to happen to your character or characters that they're going to have to resolve for the next, um, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour of the, of the, the film. So the next, so 15 pages is setting up, um, 45 to 60 pages are getting them ready for the final, the conflict to resolve, um, usually somewhere around there, there's one last, um, one last challenge that your characters need to face or overcome, and then the last five to ten minutes is the resolution or them overcoming it. Or, and so, <laughs> it blew my mind when I was I, I learned that there was a very distinct formula. For how stories are told um, and we predict based off of that formula if you went to a movie 
and nothing happened for two hours. There was no conflict. Um, or you didn't know what the conflict was. You would be, it would really challenge you as an audience member. I'm trying to think of like, uh, David Lynch is probably an example of this. Like, David Lynch takes you on a, a, a visual, emotional journey, but not a lot of people like David Lynch films, I think, because there isn't a clear beginning, conflict, middle, resolution, or final conflict end. You know, there isn't that predictable pattern. And our brains are really challenged when we hear stories that kind of ramble. Um, you know, basically anyone who is a good storyteller knows how to set it up, tell you what the problem was, and then resolve it. I had a friend tell me a really great story about, you know, something super uncomfortable that happened to him at the doctor. And I was, you know, laughing, I was worried. And basically what he did, you know, this is a friend of mine from the South and uh, each region has different uh, storytelling styles. Um, but I found in my experience, people from the South are particularly good storytellers. Because they know how to, yeah, set you up to enjoy the story. Um, and so we make meaning by narrating our lives. Um, and they're kind of like, you know, they're... Uh, They're a recognizable signal inside of all the noise. Um, it's why our brain likes music. Um, there's there's patterns to it. I think Pythagoras figured that out. Um, we don't like an unfinished melody. I don't know if you're like me and you hear a song and you don't hear the, the chord resolve or the melody resolve itself. Um, if I just sang to you, it's the eye of the tiger, and I left off, it's the thrill of the fight, um, you know, it, <laughs> your brain may get frustrated because the, the pattern didn't resolve itself, um, and so I think stories, um, stories are kind of, uh, little predictable signals inside of all the noise you know you could just play all the notes on a piano and it would probably drive you a little bit crazy and I think stories in a lot of ways are how we stay sane as a human um, we narrate our lives and so I think I think stories I really want to do the the beautiful side of stories today um, I think we've talked a, a lot about really intense things, and I think it's, it's so cool that we have this kind of shared technology. Like, every culture has stories. Every race, um, we all have, um, I think, a deep need to connect with others, and um, we, I think we share... Um, I think we share a way to feel safe in the fact that we all like to detect patterns. We we like to 
to walk into a room and see that the table is still in a table shape. Um, it hasn't broken into a million pieces, you know, think, think about if you walk out of your bedroom in the morning and you go to make coffee and instead of being in the coffee container, all of the coffee is over the floor, um, you know, that's, uh, maybe that's not the best example, or just, just think if your table's destroyed, um, it's, it's like unsettling when the patterns get disrupted, um, our brains are pretty energy efficient, so they like to be able to detect patterns, um, and it's, detecting patterns is how we learn and make decisions, um, there's a really cool study done at Ohio State University, um, and they were looking into how people learn um, and how they make decisions. And there's you can, basically the study said that you can detect patterns. Um, that's one kind of learning, and then there's also probabilistic learning, and so. Um, probabilistic learning, um, you're kind of determining the probability of an event happening um, sometime in the future. So, uh, nine times out of ten, when I don't get a good night's sleep, I'm a little more emotional and so I can there's a high probability I know if I wake up in the morning and I'm like oh wow I didn't really sleep that well and I had a lot of crazy dreams there's a high probability that I'm going to be a little bit more sensitive I might be a little bit more tender I might be a little bit grumpier that day but there's a high probability I can I can guess with a high probabilistic outcome that like, if somebody gives me some feedback that day, it might hurt my feelings a little bit more than on a day where I got a full night of sleep. Um, but that doesn't, um, that's a little different than with patterns. Um, like with patterns, the study said that um, you you know, and this kind of gets into like intuition and your gut, with patterns you know that a particular event is going to happen at a specific point in time. Um, so in the study, what they did was um, they had 26 adults and they were all shown a photo. Um, I think there were three different photos. And so they're in an MRI. There's a lot of neurological stuff here, so I'm going to try to keep this as simple as possible. They had three different photos. And they were shown them in different order. Um, and so they were looking, they had the people in an MRI machine and they were looking at the parts of the brain that detect patterns and the parts of the brain that do probabilistic um, outcomes. So probability would be, I was shown say it's a tree, a bicycle, and a camera. So those are the three images. So I was shown 
tree tree bicycle so i know after there are two trees they're going to be a there's going to be a bicycle that's probabilistic learning um what they were doing with patterns is they were showing the images in a random order um but slowly bringing them into focus so when the participants were shown the image it was unclear or cloudy and then you know through a time lapse or a timed release the image got more and more clear um, so it was a, 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 a scrambled image that slowly over three seconds would make itself clear um, and so basically the participants were given a reward for all of their correct answers so there was a, a, a dopamine response um, which is much, much much like when you know if you guess the outcome of something or if you see something happen before it happens and then you're like oh cool I had a feeling that was gonna happen um, it feels good you get a bit of a dopamine hit you recognize the pattern even if it's like I think that hummingbird's gonna come get out of the eat out of the feeder and you're like oh cool it did and it feels good to get a little dopamine release um, and so I think what they found was that um, people weren't just predicting the odds of which photo was going to show up they were learning the patterns and developing rules that guided their decision and they helped and in, in doing that um, help them make their decisions more quickly and more accurately um, and so when they don't if they don't know what image is coming they have to wait um, and so as soon as you start to see like oh there's a little green there's a little this it's a tree or you see like just a little shape of something and then you're like oh bicycle and so basically what they found um, was that detecting patterns like what I said we're detecting patterns all the time um, because it makes learning easier um, the, the faster we can detect a pattern um, the more quickly we can learn and so I think the reason why I wanted to mention this is because it ties into how powerful a technology storytelling is um, the more quickly we can see that we're being taught something through a story and start to begin what the pattern is um, the faster we can learn it and this is really neat because it's like it's how we develop intuition it's how we develop insight it's how we it's how we learn to distinguish from the patterns in our environment um, which to me is really really radical I think it's just super amazing that there is that we have the ability 
and technology to learn from one another through through shared patterns um, you can hear a story you can hear a story like the one I shared last week about the whale ship and our brains are already hardwired to learn a lesson from it so in the story the the men in the boat had a decision they could say they could uh, row the boat towards um, a gulf stream or some winds that would take them to land faster but that was going to potentially push the the limits of their fresh water and their food they could go in another direction but they would face horrible storms or they could take the shortest trip and go to Tahiti where they believed that they would be eaten by cannibals and so you can hear a story like this start to finish um, and because of the pattern start to get a lesson from that and, and and the lesson we're gonna get is all individual and unique um, you know the the lesson that I get from the story about the Essex was that ignorance and believing untrue stories can cause us harm um, and then I can take that and apply it to my life through through contemplation or reflection you know if that if that story works as a technology or an agent for healing or change I can then take that information um, or that lesson that I learned which is believing untrue stories can cause me harm and I can apply it to my life and I can look um, not just cause me harm it can also cause others harm right like I'm sure there was someone in that boat that was like dude let's just go to Tahiti <laughs> like we'll handle the cannibals I don't want to take this boat 2,000 miles and hope that a gust of wind pushes us home like I just don't think uh, our water's gonna last you know I think that <laughs> we're probably uh, it wasn't unilateral it was just that's the story we hear because um, that's how storytelling works is that they all made this decision but I'm sure that there was a dissenter or two in that boat um, who wanted to go to Tahiti um, maybe not but I would find it hard to believe that everybody was that afraid of cannibals versus the open ocean but who knows we we've, we've all been ignorant um, at different times in our lives um, but my point my point there really is is that the stories we believe can cause harm to others um, if there was somebody who thought that uh, the boat should go to Tahiti and the rest of the people believed the story about cannibals so much it ended up causing harm to, um, to others in the boat. So the stories we believe, what I get from that is the stories we believe can cause harm to ourselves and others, um, and especially the untrue stories we believe. And 
yeah, it's it's worth it's worth noting that today um, there are stories I believe that are untrue. There are stories that I believe that come from my family. Um, there are ancestral stories that are untrue that I might need to unlearn so that I don't cause more harm to myself or others. I'm trying to think of an example of a story. Um, oh, there's uh, the story in my family um, or on my mom's side of the family is that we all need to be on the same page, right? We all need to believe the same thing. We all need to feel the same way. And this has a number of sources, but basically, you know, it's like, it's, if I simplify it all the way down, it, it, it's the, the saying, uh, me versus the world, then me and my brother versus the world, me and my brother versus my cousin, me and my brother and my cousin versus your family. And so like, there's a way that um, families protect themselves by having shared beliefs. Um, and so if I believe that story, I can cause harm to myself by assimilating when I don't want to, um, which has been a huge issue for me with my gender identity and my social choices to be an artist and a skateboarder. Um, I feel loved and respected, but there have been times where those decisions have rocked the boat because my family um, had handed down the belief, which is not uncommon. This isn't a, a harsh criticism of my family. It's not uncommon that like we all need to be on the same page. Um, we all believe the same thing. We go to the same church. Um, so that's a story. So stories come from our families. Um, we get stories from society. Um, what's one that I heard recently? Um, I think that a good example of a story that could hurt me and especially other people is, um, you know, the narrative in America that, um, this comes across in the media, um, that black men are dangerous, um, right? This ties to the Andrew Brown story. If, if I believe that he's more dangerous, um, because of his skin color, and this could be conscious or unconscious, but either way it exists, um, because of the stories I've been told by society, um, that, you know, if I believe that story, I might also justify the use of force against him because I perceive him to be more dangerous than a white person doing the same thing. Um, the stories we believe that were handed down from society, um, can harm us and others like that one definitely harms others but I think it also harms me because if I believe 
that story, then I'm walking around afraid of something that I have in my lived experience, no evidence of that being true. Um, my black friends are awesome. I don't feel afraid of them any more than I do anybody else. Um, and if I believe that story, that would harm me because I wouldn't have the rich relationships I have with um, BIPOC individuals in my life. So that would harm me by, I mean, definitely by <laughs> not um, by isolating me inside of my culture, um, by not exposing me to the wisdom of BIPOC people, to the culture, to the joy, to the um, yeah, to the, to the vast experiences I've had with my friends. Um, so that one could harm me. Another one, if I believe the story that I needed to have a house, a family, and kids, right, kind of this American middle-class story, um, and I spent all my time working in business, um, trying to have a a middle-class, white, heterosexual, normative life, that would cause me harm if I believed that that was like all the one source of happiness, which is still a narrative in this country. Um, it's still a story that exists in this country. If I believed that, then I would have cut myself off of the joy of my own expression, um, my gender identity, my sexuality. Um, it would have limited the people that I know. Um, I wouldn't have the diverse group of gender presenting and gender non-conforming friends that I have that have taught me so much about love and acceptance. Um, and so looking at that story from the Essex, um, I walk away with a lesson and I walk away able to ask myself what stories do I still believe that are causing me harm and causing others harm? Um, all right, I've got an example of a story that I, I did believe that caused me <clears throat> quite a bit of harm. Around the time I turned 40, I started to believe that I was too old to skateboard anymore. I've been skateboarding since I was about 10. Um, in the last podcast, I mentioned, uh, on my first, my first attempts at taking ownership and charge of, um, my mental health and going to see a therapist and that therapist identifying for me that I had anxiety and that I was drinking to cope with it. And another thing that came out of, um, those sessions was that I'd, I'd hurt my back um, and so I was also medicating for the pain. Um, but part of the assessment that we did was that um, I hadn't skateboarded it in like two years. And so the therapist identified, like, it sounds like skateboarding is really important for your mental health. And I was like, oh, wow, yeah. And I thought about it over the course of my life. And it, it's totally true. Skateboarding has given me community. It's given me an outlet. Um, 
an individual uh, activity. I don't need a lot of money to do it. I just need a skateboard and some concrete and I can do it pretty much anywhere. So I have a really, a pretty safe all in all coping tool for when I get frustrated, sad, angry, I could just go skateboard. And the therapist really helped me unpack that I'd kind of been using a skateboard as a, a way to deal with my anxiety and stress when I was growing up and that not having it for those two years kind of exacerbated uh, the mental health calamity I found myself in with panic attacks um, and how that was uh, affecting my overall functioning. And so all of that to set up um, when I was around 40, I started to believe the story that I was too old to skateboard. Um, and it wasn't like I was trying to like you know, step into corporate America and leave behind my childish ways. I just, I had some friends. Um, it was kind of the first time that I had a friend who was older than me, um, who didn't exercise a lot, just lived a little bit more of, I would say, like a, a middle-aged life, um, a TV academic. Um, but anyhow, I, I, I started to believe that like, yeah, maybe I should, uh, not skate as much and <clears throat> that um, you know someone who was doing the work that I was doing um, you know like that that wasn't the that wasn't for me anymore you know working and skateboarding or like to having you know an active skating life wasn't for me and so I kind of I backed away from it and so believing the story that I was too old to skateboard anymore actually you know it had it wasn't as big an impact as it was when I was younger but it definitely affected my mental health and um, you know I, it kept me from seeing certain friends just because I was filling my time with other things that I, I believed were what I needed, you know, quote unquote, should be doing. Um, and I, I quit doing that. And there's one thing I know today. I'm 44 years old. I've uh, I started skating again about a year or two ago. Um, not that I ever really quit, but like I definitely took a long enough break that I think it impacted me negatively because I believe that story. And now... You know, I try to skateboard once a week. And so, you know, the story that I'm, <laughs> my body's aging is totally true. I can't go out and throw my body around like I used to, but it doesn't mean that I can't skateboard anymore. And believing in the story that I was too old to do it really caused me a lot of harm mentally and, you know, maybe cut me off from friends and hurt other people. And, you know, the, the technology of storytelling and being able to look at the lessons that we get and then self-reflect about them, um, to turn them back and see how they inform our lives, it's just, it's just super cool. Um, you know, it's like... You know, in the Matrix, like, they hook their brain up and then they would, like, 
they'd get they'd go back into the matrix like storytelling is like one of the original ways that we like hooked our brains up to one another which i think is super cool like i can use the sounds that i know how to make and i've learned how to make to convey with you my internal state um the lessons I've learned, the experiences I've had, I can kind of like connect our two our our two com- brain computers, and we can we can interface a little bit, and I think that's super neat. Um, and I love telling stories. I love getting lost in telling a story. I love listening to a story. Um, I love contemplating a story after I've finished it um, and I also like stories just just solely for entertainment um, stories can really help us um, take a break um, not all stories need to be heavy um, if there's one thing I've learned from the pandemic it's the power of taking a break with Netflix is uh, a really nice way to kind of tune out from how intense all of this has felt and stories can give our brains a really important break in a familiar structure um it doesn't have to be intense all the time uh but i think you know the the power of storytelling is that even in those moments even in those playful fun light stories we get something from them we get to connect we get to We probably learn something. We probably identify with something. We feel a little bit less alone. And I think that's a really, really beautiful thing. I'm going to take a pause here. I know it's a bit long into the, the podcast. Take a little pause for advertising. They may insert something. If I start advertising through Acast or Anchor, um this podcast is on anchor i'm going to take a pause now All right, I am back. Colby Marie again, Turning of the Bones podcast. Thank you for tuning in. This is a listener-supported, crowd-funded adventure experiment in podcasting. I am definitely not the first one to do it, but it feels like an adventure to me because I am trying to create a life doing what I love to do, which is telling stories talking about mental health, uh, letting people know that they are not alone, that the experiences they have are uh, shared experiences and figuring out ways that we can connect. And I'd like to keep doing this and your support is very important to that. So if you can, for the price of a, a, a pint, a glass of wine, a cup of coffee, it could be a dollar a month, could be more um become a patron 
www.patreon.com backslash turning of the bones. You can get a link there on my website, www.turningofthebones.com. There is a new blog post up there. I'm going to try to do a blog there weekly. Um, and if you're getting something from this podcast, uh, drop me a little support. That would be really great. I'm doing this about 20 hours a week, and it is it's just a delight. Um, I love the experience of making this podcast, of reading and doing research and putting the puzzle pieces together to... Yeah, I'm learning. I hope you are too, getting a chance to reflect, and I just love it. It's a it's a fun, creative project, doing the the whole thing: the website, the recording, the sound editing, the uh, music you hear. Uh, that's all me. So if you can, please support. I really appreciate it, and thank you to all my patrons. If you have some questions, I'd love to do a Q&A show. You could send me a direct message on Instagram or Facebook or Patreon or contact me on the website. I would love to do a Q&A show. I'm hoping to have some friends on, uh, get some listener stories to include in this podcast. So it's... Uh, not just my stories it's we can kind of create a community here of people who are uh, looking to kind of destigmatize mental health we can start talking about the things that matter to us the things we think and feel and just come together to hopefully live in a world that we want to live in uh, one where people can feel free uh, safe to pursue their dreams. This is a dream of mine to be self-supported, to make my own way, um, to yeah, kind of step out of these systems of oppression and see what I can make. Um, getting out of teaching public high school was one of the scariest decisions I've ever made, and it continues to be very beautiful, nourishing, terrifying at times, but uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm going to keep keep giving this a shot and see where it goes. So thank you for tuning in. So yeah, stories are absolutely beautiful things. Um, they can be really informative and great tools for self-assessment, contemplation, and reflection. They can be how we get lessons about how to, uh, yeah, show up in society so that we're not alone. It can help us get uh, an understanding of social agreements. Um, and, yeah, sometimes if we believe the wrong ones, they can hurt other people or they can hurt ourselves. Um, so I think I'd like to break down a story that uh, a lot of us are possibly familiar with. Um, definitely a, a story that we got here in America. It came down from Aesop's Fables, um, where most of these 
parables came from, but there's the one about the shepherd boy and the wolf, or also known as the boy who cried wolf. Um, and I feel like I want to tell this one because I think this is a pretty easy one to unlearn and kind of like uh, you can see the power of a story on a lot of levels inside of this one. And so there was a, a shepherd boy who <clears throat> was out in the field tending his flock. Um, and it was a beautiful day. The sun was shining. It was a, a light breeze. It wasn't too hot. Um, and the, the sheep were taken care of. Um, so the boy decided to sit under a tree and looked around and thought, there really isn't much to do here. Um, played shepherd's flute for a minute and became quickly bored of that the way that children do and looked around and saw that the sheep were, were okay. They were grazing. There didn't seem to be any threats, and so the boy decided to create a little, a little drama. The boy thought to himself, boy, it's lonely out here in the field. It sure would be nice if somebody came. I bet somebody would come if I said there was a wolf. And so the boy begins to cry wolf. Wolf, 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 somebody come. And within minutes, people from the village come running and look at the boy who is watching them all run up. And the boy begins to laugh, very amused with himself. Oh, look, I made everybody come. Uh, the villagers get very frustrated with the boy, say, you shouldn't have done that. And the boy just laughs and says, okay, I know. Um, and so the, the villagers go back, the boy goes back to tending the sheep and not too much happens. A couple hours later, the boy has lunch, um, and then quickly becomes bored again and thinks, oh, wow, it would be nice to play a game. I'll play a trick on the villagers again. And the boy screams out, wolf, wolf, rings his bell, ding, 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 wolf, wolf. The villagers come running only to find the boy laughing. All the sheep are fine grazing in the grass, and the boy laughs, feeling like he'd really gotten one over on the villagers. All the villagers, very angrily, <coughs> go back. You shouldn't, you shouldn't cry wolf when there's no wolf, because one day no one will come. The boy goes back to tending the flock, and towards sunset, right before the boy is getting ready to bring the sheep back, he notices in the distance a wolf. The wolf approaches very slowly, runs, and takes one of the baby sheep. The boy begins ringing his bell. ding a ling a ling a ling a ling Wolf! Crying out, wolf, wolf, wolf! But nobody comes. The wolf gets the sheep. The boy is very sad, scared, and alone.
And so what's the message we get from this story? Well, <laughs> I think on one level it's don't lie, right? Um, you know, we, we this story could be used to um, teach children not to play silly games that uh, if they they cry out when there isn't danger maybe no one will come when there really is danger so it could it could help teach them discernment um this isn't you know every one of these old stories that we have especially parables like there is some wisdom in them and like there you can really see the psychological benefits of, of helping a child um determine when and when not to uh, cry out about danger um, and so that's like uh, there's like a moralistic lens we can look at that story through um, but then you know today like when I think about that story and having been trained in trauma-informed care and working with children um, and we have a deeper understanding of child psychology and um, needs um, I really hear a lonely child inappropriately asking for attention, right? And so in our society, a lot of times we just shame children around this instead of taking a moment, right, to evolve that story. And like, you know, you could have a restorative justice version of that where the townspeople sit down with the boy at the end and say, hey, why, why did you, why did you cry out for the, the, when there was no wolf and the boy could have said well I was lonely um, and help the boy understand his internal process um, or feelings instead of um, eventually leaving the boy just leaving the boy alone without actually talking about why was he crying out like what need did the boy have that he wasn't getting met out in the field um, which is kind of a fun, fun re, uh, revisiting of that story is like, you know, what if it, what if it had a different ending? Um, what if, what if the townspeople empathized with the boy and said, yeah, being a shepherd's very hard. Um, and we actually ask you to do this before you were ready because you're just a child. So this is, you know, we're putting too much on you, so maybe maybe you could work with a friend, um, or you know, empathizing like yeah, everybody gets lonely and bored um, instead of just leaving the boy to uh, face the wolf alone. Um, there could have been restorative justice there at the end, and could have helped. You know, we could have a new version where the child learns how to get their needs met appropriately by asking uh, for what they need. Um, so, bit of a parable tangent there at the end, but I think it it's one of the, the coolest things about stories to me is that we can see them through different lenses. Um, that's all a lot of... Uh, you know, you can view them through a social justice lens. You could th view them through a moralistic lens. You could view them through a psychological lens. You could view them through a restorative justice lens. Um, stories are really adaptable. Um, they change 
with us because we're so dynamic and we change so much. Um, so next week, I uh, hope to have some stories for you. I hope you got something from this episode. Um, thank you for tuning in. I am so grateful for each and every one of you, all of my listeners. Look forward to many more episodes. Blessings to you. Be well. Take care of one another. Look after yourself. Uh, do something nice for yourself today. All right. Take care. Thank you.